You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Ellen Geddes was actively competing in the equestrian sport of dressage when a car accident left her paralyzed at 22 years old. While she was rehabilitating at the Shepherd Center at Atlanta, she was introduced to different adaptive sports. But there was one that really caught her attention. Now, she's a member of Team USA and is hoping to compete at the Paralympic Games in Tokyo in the sport of parafencing. So, Ellen, thank you for being my guest today. Yeah, of course. Anytime. So I wanted to you know, talk with you about your um, involvement with sports to begin with, you know, starting maybe, you know, were you involved in sports growing up? Uh, and then ultimately, of course, talk about how you got into fencing. So, uh, so talk, maybe start with just uh, how active were you as a, growing up and were you involved in sports and, and go from there? Yeah, so um, I have been... Well, before I got injured, I rode and competed horses in both eventing and dressage pretty extensively from the time I was 10 until I got hurt when I was 22. Um, I was actually working for an international competitor in dressage at the time of my accident and was moving my way like up the levels in competitive mm-hmm. dressage. Um, at that time. And when I was like young, young, my parents definitely, uh, encouraged me to do a lot of different sports. So I started in gymnastics because I was not a coordinated child. And they (laughs) recommend that um, if you have an uncoordinated child that you do gymnastics and dance with them. And so my mom put me in both gymnastics and dance. Um, I don't know if it helped, but maybe. Um, And played a little bit of basketball and swam for a lot of years until I finally like realized that I really liked horses and kind of landed on that up until the time I got hurt. And I still, I understand you have still horses today, right? Yes. Like I think 30 of them. Oh my. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have a friend who is our trainer um, and we have a business together and we breed young horses and then raise them up into riding age and get them started under saddle and then sell them into other competition homes. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and uh, so do you ride? Um, so I tried a little bit of like the para dressage thing um, mm-hmm. after I had gotten out of the Shepherd Center, but I found I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I was quite happy um, doing the fencing. So I didn't continue to pursue the dressage. Okay. Uh, and, and how did you get introduced to fencing? So I... Um, did my spinal cord injury rehab at the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. And the Shepherd mm-hmm. Center has their own um, in-house fencing team called Shepherd Swords. And I was going down to the basement one day to work out um, extra on a Saturday. And the fencing team was training. And their um, team captain, Dennis Aspie, asked me if I uh, I wanted to stab people, and I said yes. So <laughs> here we are. Uh, do you do you like stabbing people? <laughs> uh, I mean, in in the um, aspect of fencing, yeah, sure, it's fun. Okay, of course, of course, <laughs> it's all in good fun. <laughs> uh, 
and and for those that may not be familiar with your your background, how did what you know, are you comfortable with walking us through the accident and uh, and obviously just the the recovery time period and, and all that uh, all that sure. stuff. So I um I was in a car accident in 2011, um where I um got a spinal cord injury at uh between T11 and T12, um, mm-hmm. I did a complete transection dislocation of my um, spine and completely severed my spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And then I was in the Shepherd Center in Atlanta for, I think, almost six months because I had um, a MRSA infection um, secondary to the surgical site. And so we had to do a lot of like soft tissue rehab as well. And so I wound up being there a lot longer than I probably would have otherwise. Hmm. And, um, you know, when, when something like that happens to you, um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts and are you thinking about, you know, sports at that time or how, how can I get back involved in, you know, some of the things that I enjoy or finding even find new things that I enjoy? So the benefit of being at the Shepherd Center is that they um, have you do a lot of different um, like therapeutic recreation type stuff, mm-hmm. and that does involve a lot of sport. If um, like they introduce you to wheelchair basketball, they introduce you to shooting. I did. Um, I spent some time in like a wheelchair that is specifically for like going hiking in. Um, uh, like wheelchair bicycles mm-hmm. and some different art stuff. They had like a specific pottery wheel that you didn't need your foot to operate. And so there was something new, like every single week that I got to learn about, like a sport that I wouldn't necessarily have known about before. So that was very beneficial. Fencing wasn't actually one of the sports that they showed us, but um, I found out about it anyways. So. <laughs> They were going to keep you away from that, right? <laughs> and um, so, what what was it about fencing specifically that you that caught your eye and caught your attention? I mean, I think that initially it was just like it was something to do and like a community. I liked the people that were on the fencer, the shepherd fencing team, and I really appreciated like that community aspect and um, like. I guess the advice of being around people who had uh, been in chairs or with various disabilities for like longer than I had. Um, And then I proved to be pretty good at fencing. And so I kept it up because I enjoy doing things that I do well. That's a good way to put it. Um, And, you know, I know that there's, you know, different styles of fencing, um, which ones do you do and, um, and which ones do you say, you know, would you be good? Would you say you're good at? Um, so I fence both, um, Epe and foil. Mm -hmm. I do not fence saber. Um, I probably prefer foil. Um, but (laughs) I'm not necessarily like better at it. I, um, but I do enjoy it more. I spend more time on it. And so let's start with the obvious. Why, why not Sabre? Um, so when I initially started fencing, um, Sabre was not a weapon in the Paralympics for women. Mm-hmm. So it, it will be for Tokyo. So mm-hmm. you Sabre then. But when I started, it wasn't an option and you needed to do two weapons. 
And so foil and epee. Mm-hmm. And like by the time saber was a weapon for women, I felt pretty established in both foil and epee and didn't feel like either of them were like worth me dropping as a weapon to pick up saber, which I'd never done. And I also didn't want to fence three weapons at World Cups because mm-hmm. I like having a rest day. Um, <laughs> I think it's good for me mentally. I think that it's good for me physically. I've had some elbow issues. So, yeah, I stuck with my okay. original two. And so you, you like foil. Um, what is it about foil that you like uh, and why do you like it the most? Um, it involves a lot of thinking and like fast planning on what you're doing and kind of trying to like learn your opponent like your opponent is very much a puzzle and figuring out like what you can get them to react to so you can get them to make mistakes Mm. so are you a offensive fencer or a defensive fencer uh defensive your opponent will make a mistake or mistakes and that's when that gives you the opportunity to to strike right okay and and for those that may uh you know we, we want to introduce folks to um the, the the different fencing styles right um walk walk people through uh foil in terms of you know like how would you describe the particular weapon so foil is a right-of-way weapon so you have to gain control of your opponent's blade to score a touch so you have to have like hit their blade before you hit them or you have to have started to attack them before they've started to attack you mm-hmm. to get the touch. So there is a referee and there is, and they determine who has right of way based on watching and then award points. Um, and the weapon is um, thinner and more flexible in foil than it is in epee. And the target area is your torso, not your arms, um, and not your head. Okay. And it's the same. The target area in foil is the same able-bodied as it is in wheelchair. And, um, and is there a, a prescribed length of the weapon in, in fencing? Yes, there is. They are all um, they are all under regulation. It is they check your weapons to make sure they're they are the correct length. Um, okay. I I don't know what that length is. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I got. There are definitely people that would know, but yeah, exactly. Know. All right, and then so Epe, um, you hinted that may you may be better at at Epe, uh, even though you enjoy a foil more. Um, what what's the that weapon and what's the um, strategy behind that particular uh, style so epe for wheelchair the target is everything waist up we block off from waist down so like nothing happens like if you hit below the waist like you can just keep fencing mm-hmm. um, because obviously you can't like get your legs out of the way mm-hmm. um and able-bodied like your whole body is target and epe um and the weapon is the blade is thicker and the bell guard is larger so that it can protect your hand since your hand mm. is target. And it is, at least in my division, in women's B, it is a very patient weapon, typically. Like, there is a lot of, like, trying to set up the other person to give you an opening and the bouts frequently go to time. And I do very well at Epe because I am generally 
more patient and more willing to wait people out than <laughs> people are willing to wait me out. Um, I don't necessarily like it because it is hard for me to like stay focused that entire time and not mm-hmm. make mistakes myself. But but in Epe, patience is a virtue at least. Yes. Good. <laughs> at least and- in my division. The different divisions like A and B and men and mm-hmm. women in wheelchair, like the weapons start to get fenced very differently. Mm. So in my division, patience is definitively a virtue in FA. <laughs> and with FA, you, as you mentioned, the uh, target, I guess, is bigger essentially because more, m- more things are on limits versus off limits. Yes. Okay. And um, so going into, obviously, we had to postpone Tokyo, uh, hopefully for just, you know, one, one year. Hopefully 2021 will look much better for everybody. Um, what did that year off or extra year, I guess, mean for you per- personally as an athlete? So I have um, tried very hard to continue training. I um, have the added benefit of um, living with someone who is also a highly skilled athlete and who understands wheelchair fencing very well. So I have Mm -hmm. been able to sit down and fence with him six days out of the week. Um, (laughs) And so like that has been very much to my benefit as we've been a little bit Mm -hmm. quarantined and not able to like go into our clubs and like fence in a club setting that I haven't had to actually take a break from Mm. fencing and have been able to continue and like keep my skill levels up and even like practice some things that I had been bad at before that I need to get better at. And, and as an athlete, how do you train? I know fencing is, is a mental sport as much as it is a physical sport. How do you train for both? How do you train mentally and how do you train physically? So I have always ascribed to the idea of like, when I get on strip, like I just take everything that is worrying me and that is causing me to lose focus. And I like just stuff it in a box and like close the lid and like get to work. Mm-hmm. And that when I do it correctly, works quite well. Um, it doesn't, I'm not always very good at keeping the lid shut, but generally if the plan works, the (laughs) plan works. Um, and so I try really hard to not like worry about the focus of fencing until I sit down on strip, because if I spend a lot of my mental energy, like leading up to about like worrying about whether or not I'm focused or worrying about the like external factors and trying to just like stay in my head the whole time like that's a lot of energy that i'm expending that doesn't actually really impact whether or not i'm able to be successful and focused on strip and uh, i'm I'm glad you mentioned that because some some sports you know it's good to bring your outside aggressions in do you find in fencing that that's the opposite for me, it definitely is. I do much better if I think about it as like a cognitive activity than if I try and like think of it in any kind of like aggressive sense. And then um, back to my original question, what, what about the physical side in terms of what do you do uh, to prepare or train physically for fencing? So I do weight training to try and help keep up the like muscles like especially like the small muscles in my shoulders and like the small muscles like throughout my shoulder blades to keep all of that like strong so that I stave off injury. And I also try and make sure to do like some cardio every 
week with an arm bike. Um, and then on top of all of that, I do body work in the fencing chair, like practicing the different movements of my body that I would need for um, being on strip so that that is as innate as the um, actual blade work is. Okay. And um, talk, you, know, you mentioned blade work. I was going to ask you about, you know, different attack kind of moves or styles. What do you do to improve your blade work? Um, so you take lessons with somebody who is willing to be critical of everything that you do. <laughs> if your hand <laughs> is like two centimeters to the left of where it needs to be and you're on guard, you need someone that is going to tell you that. Or if you mm. do a disengage to go around your opponent's blade and you make it like big enough that you could have gone around France, you need to be told that that was too big and that you need to make it smaller. And just like you need someone who is willing to criticize you and be very clear and very direct and very in the moment about all of that so that you can get better. And, and, and you mentioned some of the workouts that you do and the strength and conditioning. What, what muscles do people typically use uh, to, because obviously as opposed to able-bodied fencing, um, your chair is stationary. So what, what do you focus on in terms of the different muscles uh, that, that are engaged with the sport? So since I'm a B and I don't have um, the level of core strength that someone who would be in the A category would have, mm -hmm. a lot of like my moving of my body back and forth in the chair is off of my back arm. I'm left-handed, so it's my right arm that moves mm -hmm. my body back and forth in the chair. So um, like making sure that like I have the arm and the shoulder strength to do mm -hmm. that and that I don't... Um, if I forget to do the like strength and conditioning work throughout the week and then, you know, go and try and fence really hard, I'm at a higher likelihood of like injuring or damaging my shoulder because I do very frequently like slam my body weight with my arm fully extended and my hand holding onto something onto my shoulder. So it needs to have a pretty strong structure for me not to accidentally tweak it when I do something kind of dumb. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the, the, risk of injury you know if you if you're not fully at the at the place that you need to be from a, a strength or conditioning uh perspective what about what how does nutrition play into your uh training um i try really hard to make sure that i eat a balanced diet um i don't focus too terribly much on like nutrition and diet i just try and make sure that i eat enough things across the like spectrum of food items mm -hmm. um but I, I i don't really think about it that much <laughs> i um, have not had too many struggles with my weight so it is not super a consideration for me as long as i am like getting enough nutrients in the day i'm happy so so walk me through uh, a typical bout like a, a, let's say you and i are sparring um uh, how you know for, I'd like to always paint pictures for our audiences in terms of how does one enter, you know, the the ring or the or the if you will, or and how does the match or, or bout begin? Sure. So um, we get locked into frames. So if you're at a competition, there will be volunteers there who will help you get up on the frame, and then we'll lock your chair in. And mm -hmm. it is always good practice to like 
follow up on their locking the chair into the frame skills. Um, make sure that they, they actually tie down the front of the chair. Um, make sure that everything is like tight and you are happy with like where your chair is and like how your wheels are angled and mm-hmm. just all of it because you know, humans make mistakes and they might miss something and like ultimately your safety is your responsibility. So always double check. Um, your opponent will also get locked in. You'll plug into the machine and like make sure that your weapon works. Like everything seems fine before you present to the referee. Um, the referee will check your weapon and make sure that um, the tip passes weight and make sure that everything is attached appropriately. Um, and then you'll salute both your opponent and the referee and mm-hmm. then the bout will be ready to begin. And most bouts are, you know, I think five points if you're like, qualifying and then about 15 and, and afterwards, right? Is it- yes. And um, and fifteen in direct elimination. And um, so, a typical bout lasts how long? So it depends on what weapon it is. They give you three minutes. Um, foil almost never goes to time. Epe can go to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, saber they don't even bother to start the clock because <laughs> it's, it's not going to time. <laughs> And so, uh, in a in a given competition, or 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 um, how many three minute? I mean, how many times will you bow, basically? So usually, um, the pool is somewhere between five and seven people, um, and so you fence everybody in your pool, mm-hmm. and then um, if you've done well enough to qualify to move up to <laughs> DEs, you do DEs until they are until you get eliminated. Um, They will start in the round of 64 sometimes. So you can fence five DEs. Okay. Maybe more. I might not be able to count. (laughs) (laughs) So it makes it it worth uh, a little bit more time and effort than all that training for one (laughs) three-minute bout, obviously. (laughs) Sure, you, you can fence a lot of bouts if you're doing well. Good, good. Is there anything um, that uh, you're looking forward to in, in 2021 or, or to Tokyo? Um, I am very much hoping that the COVID gets under control so that we do actually get to go to Tokyo in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very much looking forward to the opportunity to be there. Um, they did reopen qualification for us for wheelchair fencing so i have a competition on the schedule that would count towards my qualification for tokyo my qualification is fairly well established at this point so i'm just looking forward to getting able being able to get out and do those competitions and kind of get back into a competition frame of mind before tokyo yeah exactly why not (laughs) um anything else that you know maybe our listeners or our audience should know about the sport think so i think it's a lot of fun there's a lot of um fencing clubs available uh, around the u.s and um our para fencing program in the states is trying very hard to like bring para fencing to more of the able-bodied clubs in the u.s Mm -hmm. so if you know if anybody wants to do para fencing and they find a club that doesn't currently offer para fencing like we can probably help to make that club more accessible 
That's great. Yeah. And I think it's important. Sometimes they just need to be, it just needs to be brought to their attention that, right. that that there's a need and an opportunity, you know, for, for our local program to offer, you know, that, that side of the sport as well. Yeah. I just think if a club isn't currently offering para fencing, it's not a reason to not approach them because the club can certainly get like assistance to create a para program within their able-bodied program. And uh, one, one question I forgot to ask you. So when you're, when you're beginning, is it an expensive sport to get into? Like, do you have to buy, like, what do you, what are you responsible for, I guess, personally at the beginning versus maybe what the club might have already accessible or for you, for kind of program use, I guess. So most clubs um, that offer any sort of beginner lesson are going to have blades, gloves, masks, jackets for people to wear when mm-hmm. they're just trying out the sport. So it would be easy enough to do a very like beginning introduction to it and kind of learn if you like it before, you know, having to spend lots of money on the like para side of things. Um, if you are like a daily wheelchair user, you can certainly try and start fencing like out of your everyday chair. It isn't, mm-hmm. it isn't built the way that um, like fencing specific sport chairs are built, but you can mm-hmm. certainly get a feel for it in your everyday chair. So there's no need to like have to find a sports chair or buy a sports chair to just start. And, and when do people typically in the process decide to go out and get not only their own chair, but maybe their own, you know, gloves, mask, uh, those types of things. Probably uh, when you first start thinking about heading to a competition, would make it would make a lot of sense to buy your own equipment. Um, one of the benefits of going to the competitions um, is that at our NACs, the vendors for the various, um, like, the various equipment vendors for wheelchair fencing and able-bodied fencing stuff are mm-hmm. all there. And so you can try stuff on and make sure, like, because different brands always fit different, different mm-hmm. like, grips for blades feel different in your hand. Um, like, the blades are different flexibilities. So it's very good to be able to, like, touch it all and, you know, know what you're getting rather than ordering it online. Okay. So you can very much, like, buy your equipment for your first competition at your first competition. Wonderful. Well, uh, Alan, thank you very much for talking to with us. Of course. Anytime.